Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. Catherine Carden, Canterbury Christchurch, discusses teachers' well-being and careers and whether it is realistic to expect a perfect balance between work and a personal life. So firstly, the the background to the the piece that I wrote was in response really to a constant conversation that features work-life balance coming up a lot. So two terms, well-being and work-life balance, alongside the the, the notion of workload being looked at within um, the school inspection framework and being cited as a reason for um, issues within the the profession. So I wanted to really think about this term of, of work-life balance in a nutshell. Um, really, why why is the teaching profession in the midst of a crisis? Well, I think it's too stranded. And I first, the first issue I think we, we are facing and have been for some years now, actually, um, and is a constant and growing concern is that of recruitment. So the profession is seemingly not now the first choice for many. Although you will see statistics being paraded around of the numbers of people going into teaching and so on are the highest they've been in however long, actually raw numbers are a dangerous way to look at anything when you're not comparing them to the size of the community that they're serving, i.e. in this case the numbers of children in schools, um, and also not looking at the attrition at the same time. So you can put in as many people as you like um, if you're spilling them out um, throughout the career for a, a greater rate and the community is growing um, it's going to be a constant problem. There's also whilst it's good news for the country coming out of a recession from a few years ago where people employment um, levels were low and graduates were struggling to find graduate level jobs particularly in some subject areas when there's an upturn in the economy what quite often happens is that those people can get jobs in their chosen um, fields and teaching suffers so teaching actually does well in terms of recruitment in times of recession there are also more people, if you like, as NQTs, newly qualified teachers, entering the profession, as I said. But let's think about work for, uh, the actual numbers and let's put some context to this. So, in the workforce census in 2018, for example, um, the number of secondary school teachers went down 0.3% compared to the previous year, 2017. The number of primary teachers actually went up by 0.5%. So you're actually there looking at an increase in numbers of teachers in the profession of 0.2, which is great news. Another piece of great news from 2017 to 2018 is a flip in that um, those entering the profession are greater in number than those leaving in 2018. Whereas in 2017, it was reversed. There were more leaving than entering. So that shows a promising picture moving forward. However, you put the third dynamic into that, which is the size of the community, so the children in the system, and that's grown by 0.8%. So basic math gives you an understanding that there's probably a gap in provision of about 0.6% with regards to the, the increase in teachers in the, the profession and the growing community. So we've got a recruitment issue. The other side of the coin is that we've got a retention issue. So the numbers of teachers making it to retirement age has more than halved in recent years, and many are opting out now prior to reaching full retirement age. So again, 
that is an issue with people leaving earlier than they would have done, not serving, if you like, their full period of time within the profession. We've also got leakage at the other end. So early on in teaching, um, we've got newly qualified teachers, a large number, well, 15, around 15.3%, so that's, again, the workforce census saying this, are not making it into the second year of teaching. So they're choosing to leave uh, the profession at some point in that first year, which may be 15%, not a huge um worry and maybe natural but when you look at figures that look a little bit more into the future so within the first five years of teaching so really when you're getting to year five you're becoming accomplished in your practice and beginning to really um, make an impact on the children that you teach actually the figure rises so uh, teachers leaving within now the first three uh, five years is up to 32.3 percent according to that census so that's a third we're losing in that very early stage. And actually, if you then look within to inner city schools, you can look at numbers of nearly half are leaving in the first five years. So there's a major challenge, and we need to get to the crux of why this is happening. I've got three key reasons how I think the government has um, responded. And the first thing that they did, and this is going back right to 2010 with Michael Gove's white paper, where his ideology and very public ideology was to move um, teacher education out of universities and into schools to make it school-centred. Um, that ideology was never fully realised. And um, what has been left behind, in, in effect, the legacy of this, is that we've got a really confused and complex system. So we've got um, school-based provision, we've got university-based provision, we've got school-centred initial teacher training, so skit provision, and lots of little providers and school alliances and so on, and, and school direct working with universities and school direct without an academic qualification. So such a myriad of different routes that the complexity itself has been massively problematic with people really not knowing how to get into teaching. Um, so many teachers come to open days and say, I just want to teach. I don't know the best route. So actually, I think the complexity has, um, that has been caused going right back to 2010 is an ongoing issue. Another thing that the government has constantly done is look to the use of bursaries within um, subjects. So they give bursaries where they're struggling to recruit, where numbers are struggling to recruit nationally to attract more people in. Um, and every year these bursaries get published and sometimes they're reduced in some subjects, increased in another, um, taken away, for example, now from primary because nationally primary, primary is deemed um, on a national level to recruit. Um, what this has left with is actually some student teachers having a tax-free bursary in their training year that is higher potentially than their starting salary, which is a bit perverse, but at the same time it's not really had the effect that it, it wanted to. There is no commitment on the, the student teacher's behalf that they will actually go into teaching having had this bursary, and there's no sort of penalty for that. And I, I do wonder whether they've been churning money into recruitment when it needs to be looked at plugging the retention gap, for example. And the third 
thing that I feel that the government has intervened to do, and this is the most recent, is their development of their 2019 recruitment and retention strategy. Now, this is not in place yet in full at all, so it's far too early to even uh, evaluate or begin to evaluate or see an impact. Um, but as a positive, it, it's great to see that there is an overarching intention of having a strategy that we can operationalise um, through key um, policies, if you like. So there's an early career framework which looks at NQTs and moving the newly qualified year into a two-year process. There's a review of the initial teacher training core content and alongside this as well is the Ofsted framework development that has a focus now on workload within it. So these are all good things, um, but at the same time, we need to look at how this is going to be embedded nationally and is it therefore then going to have the impact. And other things that crop up within the teacher recruitment strategy are things around flexible working and um, keeping good teachers by offering good career development and opportunity. So that yet is still hanging as to whether it will really have the impact that's desired, but it's moved in the right direction. But I still think that over a period of time, there's been too much ideology and not great thought as to um, a very clear pathway into teaching. I think far too much money has been spent on recruitment and too little in terms of ret uh, retention and improving the working environment. So um, the Education Support Network produces an annual teacher wellbeing index. So to give you some ideas about how this is impacting, um, within the uh, 2019 study, 72% of education professionals are describing themselves as stressed. 84%, it rises to 84% when you're talking about senior leaders. 33% of teachers work over 51 hours a week, and that increases again when you're to 68% when you're talking about those in leadership roles. And then... Uh, Three-quarters, 74% of education professionals consider the inability to switch off and relax as being a key contributor to what they've considered to be a negative work-life balance. So there's some significant indicators around why we might be losing people. Having reflected on just uh, what I've just said, you might be surprised that I'm actually going to say I don't think that anyone can expect to have a work-life balance. And I think we should absolutely ditch the notion of a work-life balance. And um, I'm not saying that the issue of teacher workload is okay by any means. Teachers are overworked. And I think it is something that absolutely must be addressed. So by saying ditching work-life balance, I'm not saying that it's okay. So bear with me. So um, a good while ago now, I actually read a book entitled How Remarkable Women Lead by Joanna Barsh and Susie Cranston. And they state in relation to their leadership project that our women saw work-life balance for what it was, an unattainable goal. Instead, they've adapted to a life of managed disequilibrium, a fluid and dynamic approach. And that struck a chord with me. And so I want to interpret that really in how I see um, work-life balance as being unattainable. It's actually, if you think about the term work-life balance, it implies that at all times your work life and your outside, your personal life will be in perfect balance. Therefore, you have a work life balance. I managed to balance 
my outside of work with my inside of work, if you like. Imagine that as a set of scales being perfectly balanced. We know that that is never going to be attainable in most professions, let alone in education. And I I actually believe that the stress um, of trying to achieve a work-life balance adds to the pressure that we're already under. So you're trying to attain something that's unattainable, and that can actually, to my mind, increase your stress levels and also your sense of failure. Getting to the end of the week thinking, yet another week I've not managed to create this wonderful work-life balance. So I'm wholly in favour of not using this term at all because I think it's more damaging than helpful. The managed disequilibrium, on the other hand, acknowledges that there are peaks and troughs in one's work life. There are times, for example, in schools when you have reports due in, parents' evenings, um, that you're reporting, uh, I know, annual quality reports or quantitative reports or you have Ofsted inspections or whatever. There are other times that there is slightly less demand. So unlike work-life balance, where I'm asking you to picture a set of nicely balanced scales, this time you... What you need to do is picture an imbalance of scales, however, that that balance swings from time to time. So the benefits of a managed disequilibrium are that actually is achievable and it hands back control to the person. So you're not feeling a failure, but actually you're taking control, acknowledging that there are some weeks, you look in your calendar, and some weeks there's going to be a real emphasis on work over life. The managed part is the key. Because if you don't manage that, you'll drive yourself into the ground. The managed part then means looking ahead and saying, in a few weeks' time, it's much easier, and then making time for much more life over work. And that could be leaving earlier from work a couple of days, not working at the weekend, or whatever suits your your way of working. But the key is the managed, and it is about self-discipline to do that, and not falling into the hole of um, being in the unequal balance in the wrong direction all the time. It should swing both ways. Firstly, it's important for us as professionals to develop a support network, and that could be colleagues, line managers, but friends and families who will listen and offer us advice, but realistic advice, and also tell us. Um, and be honest with us when we're putting in too much time. Tell us to stop the working now take us out that kind of thing they're really important but I think there are three things that can be done as well by individuals I think the power of mentorship is really key find an experienced uh, person who you trust and respect within your work or, or within your field and who will really support you through your career and if you see those people don't wait for them to ask to mentor you they won't ask them because all the that they could do the worst thing that could happen is that they say no and engaging coaching sometimes good coaching through good coaching questioning helps people get through their own um their own challenges and come to make uh, come to their own conclusions and know who your supporters are good supporters who champion your work so that's what you can do as an individual for school leaders i really ask school leaders to review the demands that they make on staff do you need as many meetings do they have to mark class sets of books every night 
how are you conducting lesson observations, how regularly and how much pressure and additional workload. And when are you informing staff of those lesson observations? If it's Friday night or Friday afternoon for a Monday, you're implicitly then expecting them to work because they will over the weekend. So think about that. Look at modern approaches to working. How can you use technology to support workload? Look at things like teacher development. There's some great teacher development that can happen online now rather than sat in twilight sessions after a busy day teaching. And create, most importantly, a supportive culture. Invest in mentoring and coaching and encourage staff to develop this notion of a managed disequilibrium. Mm-hmm.